Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look at a first-time filmmaker's journey. I'm your host, Josh Lindsay from the Movie Proposal Podcast. And with us is our first-time filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hello, Josh Lindsay. Christian, you are not in your regular place. You're in a log cabin somewhere. I am in a log cabin. I am deep in the heart of uh, Wyoming, actually. Uh, Pinedale, Wyoming, to be exact. We had a screening here last night. So it'll sound a little different today because I forgot my mic. So hopefully Aha. people can endure. <laughs> and with us, as always, couldn't do it without him, the awesome, trusty, dusty, research extraordinaire, button-pushing guy, Jason Rugg. Hey there. Hey, Jason. And again, we have a very special guest today with us all the way from Beaufort Film Festival is the co-founder of the film festival, Ron Tucker. Ron, thanks for being here. Glad to be here. And Josh, yes. yeah, Josh, why don't you explain why you just said we have him again? <laughs> well, I, <laughs> as I was saying it, I realized what I was doing and I tried to make it sound like we have a guest again, but it did come across as we have Ron again, which is true. So now is. I have to explain. Uh, we, this is our second take of this podcast with Ron, who I can't explain why, maybe Jason can, it just did not work out in the first recording. So Ron was gracious enough to come back a couple days later and do it again. Yeah, Jason, why don't you explain why? <laughs> yeah, so I'm still not entirely sure, but we think Christian's computer restarted in the middle of the recording. So we lost chunks of her recording. We lost chunks of Josh's recording. We had Ron, <laughs> we had me. <laughs> <laughs> but we didn't have, you know, the main people who were talking uh, at the start, at least Ron took over at the back half and told some great stories. So we're going to dive into those again today. <laughs> yeah. But before we do, we need a film update. Christian, what is going on with the girl who wore freedom? Yeah, we've had an exciting week, uh, not just because I'm in Wyoming, but uh, I really do want to explain what I learned this week because it was I think it's incredibly helpful. So I want to explain the process of what happened when um, we went to deliver our um, some of our deliverables for the ENO insurance. One of those is you have to give your distributor all of the legal licenses that you have been given for any of the material in your film that you do not own. And so we have um, about four photos and we have uh, some audio and we have some video that we do not own. And I had bought rights for those for film festival uses. And I sent those to um, the distributor to, you know, check those licenses. I thought they would take over from there and, you know, negotiate everything for me. But that is not what happened. Um, they wrote me a letter back and said, OK, this one is good. This one's good. This one you all you need to renegotiate. And I was like, wait a minute, I thought you were going to do that. And um, one of the ones I was most worried about was the music licensing. That one really was a bear to, to overcome in the first place. And uh, I anticipated they would give me a much diff more difficult time and charge me more money just because that's what they do. And he did agree. They said they do have a music licensing, you know, sort of expert on their staff. And they agreed to take that on and negotiate that cost. Uh, and then I did the rest. So one of the most exciting things was that we bought the film um, rights to the black and white footage of Michelle de Valavier, who tells an incredibly, you know, important story in our film. That footage is owned by a house in France called INA.fr. And they, you know, charged me a lot of money up front it was almost like $3,000. And they told me I was going to have to upgrade for worldwide rights when we got broadcasting. But for whatever reason, the, uh, the rights that they sent me when they sent me my paperwork said I had 10 years worldwide rights. So that was a huge answer to prayer because it was going to be about $20,000 or something like that to get rights to that. So that was huge. And then um, in trying to license the photos, I needed to talk with the AP um, images and I needed to talk with Getty images. And what I learned in that situation was that typically a lot of people will go to the online portals and they will buy rights, but those are usually for only one media usage, like a film festival or like a theater. 
Um, in order to get a usage where it's worldwide on rights, worldwide rights on all platforms in perpetuity, you really do need to contact a sales agent at those places. Um, and when you do that, they are able to craft things to your needs, and it's much less expensive. So the lesson there is when you have images that you do need to license, um, make sure you look for a sales agent at those, you know, um, at those houses. And the other thing I wanna say is oftentimes those houses like AP and Getty Images and Shutterbox, and there are many more, they will go out and get free images like from the National Archives. They will put them on their website and then charge you for usage of them. And if you do have the time and the ability to go and get those images yourself or work with somebody at the National Archives, you can get those for nothing. So that's just something that you need to think about when you're building your budget. Do we want to pay the extra money so we could get them right now? Or do we want to spend some time, work with an, you know, an actual archivist who works at, you know, the National Archives to get them? So that was the biggest thing that happened last week. And then I got in the car after we did our last failed podcast with Ron and I drove, I flew to Colorado Springs, met up with a friend. We drove to Wyoming and we did a screening last night at the Pinedale Public Library. And it was amazing. The people were so wonderful, so interested in the film. Um, they were eager to buy the merchandise I brought. So I made $200 for our little um, film budget, which is always a blessing. Uh, they had lots of questions afterwards. And of course, a filmmaker loves a good Q&A. So that was delightful. And I'll be here through Monday and fly home. So that's my update for the week. When did you say you arrived? <laughs> I think yesterday. Yesterday at like five o'clock. So yesterday was Thursday. You leave on Monday? Yes. That seems like a long time, isn't it? Well, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I was in Buford for over a week, I think it felt like, oh right, goodness. Ron? Yeah, yeah, they were. Uh, I think six days. Yeah, six days. So, you know, when you get an opportunity to go to a place, this is what I love about film festivals. And this is why I went to Buford early. These film festival directors and families, because they really are, they put on this big wedding. They spent a lot of time, a lot of money. They have a lot of volunteers who've given their time. And, you know, I love to give honor to all those people who are inviting us and showcasing our film, because when I do that, I am supporting them and also the other filmmakers whose screenings may come before mine. Um, you know, and in doing that, I made relationships with people that now I consider wonderful friends. So that's sort of my mindset about going to film festivals. If I'm going to go, I'm going to be all there. I'm going to take it for everything it's worth. And yeah, so that's my, that's my motto. All right. Well, enjoy your time in Wyoming. We can't wait Thank to hear you. about the rest of it. Yeah. So, uh, as we mentioned today, we have a special guest again uh the awesome and very gracious ron tucker i'd like to give a quick bio uh as we introduce him here so uh, ron is from uh, south carolina uh, he spent 21 years in the marine corps before retiring thank you Hoorah. Ron. Uh, and uh from there he transitioned from the military into film production uh, formed the company Sandbar Productions, uh, focusing on a series of documentaries about the Marine Corps and providing content for other television providers such as the History Channel, National Geographic, ABC, CBS, NBC, and so on. And is, uh, Ron became the chairman of the Beaufort Regional Film Commission and is co-founder of the Beaufort Film Society, um, or president, excuse me, of the Beaufort Film Society and uh, co-film festival director. So we are uh, very excited to have him here today. Ron, welcome. Thank you for having me. Having me back. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I just want to give a shout out to Ron's wife, Rebecca. She isn't with us today, but she's a very important part of the Buford Film Festival. She just really is the heart and soul. Uh, she's an amazing woman. And I know Ron probably agrees with me. Um, you know, uh, I don't know that he could do it without it. 
So if she's the I wouldn't, heart, uh, I wouldn't do this if she wasn't uh, right by my side and we're doing it together. And that's the, uh, we, you know, we're, we're together 24 seven and, and I love every second of it. So. <laughs> if she's the heart and soul, what are you Ron? Uh, I'm the feet, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> you are the feet and the uh, hand. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm the one going places and doing things. And, uh, yeah, we, we enjoy doing it together. We actually, um, treat it like a uh, job. Uh, we have our own, uh, duties that we divide. Uh, Rebecca is in charge of all the volunteers and, uh, a lot of the things that go along with the uh, receptions and the parties and she gets the the uh, liquor license uh, i mean all those kinds of things that we have to do ourselves uh, and then we coordinate and we are the first level jurors uh, they have to all the films have to get past uh, rebecca and i before they get to the first level of jurors um, and that's a process we can talk about but it's uh, it's one of those things that uh, we do it because we're passionate about it and uh, we've worked together uh, before the film festival with our company, uh, Sandbar Productions and Good to Go Video, uh, we do a lot of uh, meet and greets, meeting the public and uh, shaking hands. Well, we kind of had to hold up on the shaking hands for now, but uh, other than that, um, we're in it together. And uh, as long as it continues to be fun, we'll, we'll keep doing it. So, so, Ryan, can you share with us, how did you go from serving in the Marine Corps to it seemed almost immediately start a film production company. Uh, well, when I was in the Marine Corps, uh, my early indoctrination was uh, after after boot camp, and of course, I had to do all the things that Marines do. Uh, and I, I was a an infantryman, a grunt, uh, which is not what I'd signed up for. My recruiter did not tell me that part. He said, "Once you join, it's going to be like a nine to five job after boot camp." That is not the way it is. It never was nine to five. Uh, but anyway, I enjoyed it. I had a great career. Um, about three years into my career, I had an opportunity to transition to another occupational specialty, which is administration, which led into public relations, public affairs, uh, which got me um, into a lot of situations while I was in the service. Uh, public relations was not my primary occupation, but it uh, I had a lot of opportunities to do radio and television and things of that sort for uh, the units that I was uh, uh, a part of. And um, so when I retired, um, I wanted to settle in Buford. Buford's a great place. Uh, and, uh, uh, and I said, well, I'll just uh, you know, apply for a job. And being a retired Marine, well, everybody in Buford's a retired Marine. So that didn't get me any, any, uh, big, uh, credits. Um, uh, so I but explain why that job. is Ron explain why that is a lot of people don't know much about Buford. So just give us a little bit about Buford while you're there. Okay. Uh, well, Buford is right in the center of two, an area that has two Marine Corps bases. One is the Marine Corps air station and the other is Paris Island. The world famous Marine Corps recruit depot Paris Island is just six miles from downtown uh, Buford. And uh, so there's a lot of Marines here, Marine families. In fact, our economy is built around the Marine uh, bases uh, and tourism. Uh, we have a lot of Marine families that come here, uh, at least we did pre-COVID. Uh, once that goes away, then they'll come back. They average probably about 3,000 people every single week seeing their son or daughter graduate uh, from boot camp. They, there are about 38 graduations a year. Um, so that is, you know, basically one of the biggest makeups of Beaufort. Uh, and those people are very community oriented. They volunteer uh, for a lot of the organizations like Beaufort Film Society. A lot of those guys come and they, they do a lot of the schlepping and uh, whatnot. And they, um, enjoy it they do it for the t-shirt and uh of course we uh we acknowledge them with letters of appreciation things of that sort it really helps them uh as they go on for promotion so uh and i wrote a lot of those over my 22 years as a um as the uh, oic officer in charge of units and um and had a lot of young marines that work with me 
Um, and they were fantastic. And, the, and I see these guys the same way. Uh, so um, that's, that's Beaufort. And then, of course, uh, a lot of people who come here fall in love with Beaufort. And even if they, are, they serve here, I served here three times in my 21 years, uh, not counting boot camp. I came back for schools that were here uh, and, and attended them back in the mid seventies. And then in 1978, I came here for the first time uh, and was an instructor at the uh, admin school, first sergeant school. Uh, and the, uh, had a great time. And that, that put me in front of people. I was, I was not one to really like to stand up and do public speaking, that kind of thing. Well, they just kind of threw me to the wolves and said, you're going to be an instructor. And I was teaching the first sergeants how to be first sergeants, uh, which is kind of strange coming from a staff sergeant at the time. But, um, but I enjoyed that experience. And then, then when I retired, uh, no jobs opened up. I said, you know, here I was 41 years old, uh, retired, which I didn't like the word. I, I, I like doing things, being busy. Um, but when it came time to find a job, uh, uh, they weren't all, you know, rolling the red carpet out for me. So even though I said, I'm a retired Marine, well, yeah, so is everybody else. So, um, so I played golf for about eight months until I realized I'm riding around the golf course at two o'clock in the afternoon, a hundred degrees by myself. So I said, there's nobody to play with. So I said, I gotta go to work. So that's kind of how it started. Um, I saw that a, uh, a, uh, contract was coming up at Paris Island about video production, filming the, uh, recruit families, uh, and the graduation itself. Um, so I did some investigation and I said, you know, that sounds like something I might want to get into. Uh, you know, I loved video production, even though I didn't even have a video camera. Um, so I started, I started there, I started a location management company thinking I would work. Uh, with the films that were coming to Beaufort. And then, of course, that was about to dry up. Um, yeah, but then, tell, uh, us, tell us about that, because you you haven't let us know that there has been film production in Beaufort's past. Yeah, well, that's uh, the other side of Beaufort. Uh, in 1978, um, Pat Conroy, who was here in Beaufort, Pat Conroy is a very famous author, Southern author, who made his home Beaufort, uh, even though he was, his father was a Marine and stationed here. Uh, and Pat was a dependent of, of him. And, and his mother said, in the military, when you're going from base to base to base, uh, you don't really have a home. He said, find some, she said, find some place and make it your home. So when he came to high school here, he said, okay, Beaufort's going to be my home. So he stayed here even though he went back and forth to other places, Italy and Atlanta, he always considered Buford his home. He wrote the book, The Great Santini, and somebody along the way thought it was good enough to make a movie about it, and they wanted to make it in Buford, South Carolina. So they came here, did their homework, and did the uh, location scouting, and the very first movie to be filmed in Buford of about 24 movies uh, was The Great Santini. And it turned out to be great. It starred Blythe Danner, Robert Duvall, who basically all were unknown at the time, uh, and Michael O'Keefe. And uh, it went on and kind of set the tone for future productions. Um, and then later, uh, The Big Chill, the, the, the uh, people came here for The Big Chill, and they filmed it in the same house, the house that they used in The Great Santini. Um, the director came, the producers came, location scouts came, uh, and uh, Lawrence Kasdan, the director, uh, said, well, show me where the Great Santini's. So I love that movie. So he went to the Great Santini's house, as they were calling it at the time, and he said, I love the house, love the bones of the house. So he said, that's the house I want for the Big Chill. So when you see the Big Chill and all that activity takes place is in that one house. Uh, there's a lot of backstories to go along with that, with how he got the actors to stay together for a month, just getting to know each other and get on each other's nerves so that when they had those things in the house, that they acted like they knew each other. And um, 
so it, that was that was a lot of fun. And then, then as time went on, uh, people came and said, uh, "We're going to go to Alabama and shoot this movie, Forrest Gump." But Dale Dye, someone you met, uh, Christian, Dale Dye said uh, uh, to uh, Robert Zemeckis, he said, "I know a place that has the perfect place to do these Vietnam scenes." He remembered Fripp Island and Honey Island State Park that uh, could conform to become a jungle in Vietnam. So they came here and looked at it, and then boom, they decided that uh, we're, we're going to shoot just about all of Forrest Gump here. Uh, Savannah, uh, those from Savannah are listening. I know you have the bench and um, and you claim Forrest Gump, but we like to claim most of Forrest Gump being filmed here in, in Beaufort. Uh, all the iconic scenes, if you remember, uh, in the early stages uh, of the the home that, where Sally Field and uh, was the mom in that movie, um, and you saw people here all the time when they were all these different places were filming. I was running one day uh, back when I used to do that all the time, um, and I ran into Sally Field walking her dog, and uh, so in a little while later. I was running in the same exact spot several years later and ran into Nick Nolte riding his bicycle. Nick oh was my here. goodness. Yeah, Nick was here um, for The Prince of Tides, which was another movie based on a book by Pat Conroy. So Pat got it started uh, here. And then as other people came and, and discovered Beaufort, uh, it just kept going from there. We had G.I. Jane, something to talk about, uh, rules of engagement. The Jungle Book, the Jungle Scenes and the Walt Disney uh, movie Jungle Book were filmed here in Beaufort. Um, and uh, The Last Dance with Sharon Stone, uh, you know, I'll uh, look at my wall over there. Well, I've got, of course, I have the Rules of Engagement, Big Chill, and Forrest Gump hanging on the wall. Um, but we have, at the, we have the, at the Chamber of Commerce, uh, we have annually a museum, more or less, they create right before the film festival. And we take all of our movie posters down there. So you can come as kind of a, a history of film filmmaking in Beaufort. So uh, it's, quite a, it's quite a list. And uh, like I said, that I thought that when I retired, I would jump in there and I'd become a location scout and all this kind of thing. And all I wound up doing was working for catalogs. Because uh, catalog business and photo shoots were big. Uh, so my first job as a scout was for Talbot's, uh, the clothing company, uh, which was great. And where do you think I set them up for their photo shoot? At the Big Chill House. The four, the, the, uh, they wanted it. They came here from, uh, from Boston. I showed them all of these houses uh, that they wanted. They wanted an antebellum house with a wraparound porch and all these kinds of things. And I said, okay, I'll find you some. Well, I'd already been told because of uh, tourists wanting to sightsee and walk past uh, the big chill house. That's what it, it becomes, whatever movie was there most recently. Uh, it's no longer the great Santini house anymore. It's the big chill house. So I said, they said, well, what about the big chill house? I said, well, it's not available. Why is it available? I said, well, the, People that live there, don't, they decided they didn't want um, tourists peering through the fence all the time. And they thought, well, we're not going to keep adding to that history. Uh, so one thing led to another, and they were not satisfied. So I took them to, down Bay Street, as you know, it's right on the water, but it's the, like our main drive. And I showed them all these houses that the owners had already decided that they would um let them use their house. And then the other scout from Boston looked at me and says, Ron, what did they tell you this catalog shoot was for? And I said, well, it was a, a uh, clothing catalog. She said, did they tell you it was for intimate apparel? I said, no. I said, obviously you can't use those houses that are right there on main street uh, because they were going to be shot on the porches. So <laughs> we didn't use those houses. So we had, then I was like desperate. I said, this is my first job as a scout and I'm going to blow it. Uh, so I went and swung the gate open at the big chill house and walked up to the door and, and the little Wawa came out uh, snipping at my heels and 
And uh, the gentleman on the porch said, can I help you? And I said, yes, sir. So I'm a scout for Talbots. And he said, Talbots? He said, what's that? And then the older lady came out. She said, you mean those clothes people? And I said, yeah. She said, well, okay, I'm, I'm interested. And I ran back to my car and got the two people from Boston, took them over there. And I said, you guys negotiate from here. And one thing led to another. And they said, we got the house. I said, well, son of a gun. So uh, that was the start of my scouting career. From then, uh, then I got Neiman Marcus and Avon and a whole bunch of others, uh, Crate and Barrel, but but no movies that actually got shot here. I scouted for movies that they decided they didn't want to shoot here after the, the, I showed them things. Um, but that was the start, and uh, that led to wanting to stay in the business. I was registered to film office as a scout. Uh, and as the jobs came along and, uh, you know, then I got contacted because I was in that book at this film office from one of the, uh, screenwriters for JAG, uh, the TV show, and they were doing a story about Marines. So he sought me out, uh, cause I listed myself as a technical advisor also. So one thing led to another and, um, he sent me the script back in the days of dial up and, uh, the script, it took about three days, I think, to come in, but uh, it finally came in. And then I printed it on a fax machine that had the thermal fax paper, uh, and I couldn't read half of it um, after I printed it. But uh, in any case, it was not a good scene for the Marines, so I sent it back to him. And uh, then the screenwriter came back later and said, Ron, guess what? We've both been fired. They didn't like the edits on the, uh, the, uh, the script. So they went ahead and produced it anyway. And then when they did, they got a lot of flack from the Marine Corps because it wasn't what the Marine Corps would like to see. So I sat back and said, I told you so. Uh, so anyway, when, when the job came over at Paris Island and I bid on it, I wrote a script and I had to produce a demo uh, that would be seen by the folks over there making the decision. And I, and I didn't have all the bells and whistles uh, that, but I knew the job, uh, I mean, knew, knew what needed to be included. Um, so after I included all those things, they loved it, but they decided to give the bid back to the person who had it. So I was stuck with a $14,000 demo. Um, and then later a company that also bid didn't get it, asked me what we were going to do, uh, with ours. And I said, well, I'm going to finish it and make it a full documentary. And, they wanted to join forces. So I went to their studio in Charleston, South Carolina, and uh, saw what a film production studio really looks like. Uh, I was working uh, out of my office at home and uh, didn't have any of the equipment, but I had the knowledge. And so one thing led to another, and we decided to form a company uh, that would produce documentaries about the Marine Corps. So that was in 1994. Um, so it just kind of, that launched us there. That's how, that's how we got into film production. So I want to just point out a couple of things. Um, that was amazing. Thank you for sharing all of that with us. Uh, there are people that listen to us that aren't in the film industry, and there are other people that are first-time listeners. And you said a few things I just want to draw attention to. One of the things you kept mentioning was the film commission. And uh, I think it's important that we stop and explain most uh, towns or cities or states do have some sort of film office. And, you know, it's very important for them to sort of market their state or their town uh, to production companies, because when a film comes into a place, it brings a lot of economy into that little area. And filmmakers, location scouts, makeup artists, I mean, everything all over the board, if you live in that state, um, it behooves you to register yourself like Ron did as one of those things. And so uh, film commissions are extremely important. And one of the things I loved at your film uh, festival, Ron, was that you did put together this little trailer 
this is another element of the film festival that I really enjoy. You put together a trailer of movies that were filmed in Buford that people know, and you would play those in between, you know, when you were switching over things. And what was so great for me as a filmmaker, I was like, oh yeah, that location is amazing. And I didn't know that was filmed here. And I can see how I could use this place in my film, that kind of thing. And it does get the filmmakers there beginning to think about what they could do. And that is the whole point of the Film Commission's job, which is to entice filmmakers to see a location as a viable place to film. And they try to make it very friendly um, for filmmakers. And I did wonder, does South Carolina have a tax credit? They do, don't they? We have, uh, your question is very timely because we're working uh, with the, the South Carolina Film Office, uh, and I was on the Carolina Film Alliance, which is a, uh, a nonprofit um, advocate for production in South Carolina. They augment really the South Carolina Film Office. Uh, the film incentives, uh, which is what most states have, they either have a tax credit or tax rebate. South Carolina has the rebate, which means uh, you have to spend it to get it. I mean, there's certain you know things that you uh, have to present during the final audit. They have a one million dollar minimum for the film budget. You you have to have a, a safer to, to come in with a budget of say 1.5 million because there's a lot of things they're going to tell you that don't count. So if you get rid of about five hundred thousand dollars and you still have a million dollar budget, then you could qualify for the film incentives in South Carolina. Um, which is a, uh, you know, I, I don't want to give false information, but on the South Carolina Film Office website, it breaks it down. Uh, and it's fairly competitive for states our size. Nowhere near competitive to, to Georgia. Georgia right next door to us is a mega giant now in film production. The people are moving from LA and New York and uh, even Louisiana to work on film on, and television in Georgia. Atlanta is booming. Um, in South Carolina, we're between uh, South Carolina uh, and North Carolina. Uh, North Carolina has double the incentives that we have. So South Carolina doesn't have the incentives that we're hoping for. When all these films were being made uh, here, we were strictly what people called considered a location state. We had the locations that could be just about anybody you wanted us to be. Uh, whether it was the Old South, uh, New York, uh, when uh, when the Barbra Streisand scene, when Nick Nolte is holding that uh, that uh, violin, the Stradivarius over the balcony, that was built here. That was actually a, a set that was built here in Buford. Uh, it's supposed to be a, a uh, an apartment in New York. Uh, so we conformed to, you know, we we transformed to, to anything. Um, but we have a rebate system, which means when you present all of your receipts and the audit takes place, uh, you're written a check for that percentage that you qualified for. Whereas a credit, uh, like in Georgia, they're transferable credits. If you don't use up all the credits, you can transfer those credits to another state, for example, and use those credits in that other state. And that's one of the things that, that people that have the rebate systems don't want to get into. They want to make well, sure if you're going to spend money, you're going to spend it in that state. And they you they can also sell them. So they the you yes. know the production companies can sell that tax credit uh, for money. So it's right. it's a tradable commodity, and really filmmakers, of course, do prefer that. Um, right. But they would prefer to film in a state that does have something. So it is good that you know South Carolina. Uh, has something and and it is growing like I was surprised to hear about Wilmington, North Carolina and what North Carolina was doing there. So I would encourage filmmakers definitely to look in South Carolina and North Carolina. And Ron, you are a key person, I feel, in that industry because you know so many people. And I think, you know, the film festival brings a lot of those people together. Um, and so I do want to turn to talk about the film festival. And I want you to give us sort of pull back the curtain for, you know, what it is like uh, for, you know, film directors as they are viewing films or as they are considering filmmakers. What do filmmakers need to know when they are, you know, submitting to a film festival? And what's the experience like for you? Uh, 
That's a very good question because uh, one of the things that uh, we try to do with the film festival is is introduce that newest generation of filmmakers to Buford. That's why we started it in the first place. It was an offshoot of the incentives that we were talking about, um, and we weren't getting anywhere. So that's when the idea was proposed to uh, have a film festival and hopefully bring the filmmaker to us. Now, when we started the film festival, and our first one in 2007, we were, we were just learning. I mean, I was just learning. Yeah, I had no idea how important it was that time to have the filmmaker here. Uh, so the first couple of years, I didn't really concentrate. I concentrated on getting the film submitted to Buford, we called Buford Film Festival then, uh, and we added international a few years later. Um, but then, then uh, went to a couple of film festivals and said, wait a minute, you know, we're not doing a lot of things that we should be doing. So um, we kind of pulled that curtain back, as you said, and said, let's make this all about the filmmaker. Uh, you know, get them here, get their films here, uh, but make it tough enough that, you know, we couldn't make the entry fee free because we did that. We tried that too. And you get, if you make it free, the people figure it's not worth anything. So, um, so we finally learned to have a, a balance there to make it affordable. Uh, and those people, the filmmakers are going to look at your film festival and pick and choose and see if they are a fit to you. So putting yourself in the position of a filmmaker, um, the one thing that Buford fights against is like you said, no one knows what Buford is or where Buford is. If you say Key West Film Festival, then you know where you're going. You're going to Key West or you say Bermuda Film Festival. Um, and if you say, you know, Nashville Film Festival, but you say Buford, South Carolina, yeah. So we decided to make it to where uh, coming to Buford with your film would be an experience that you weren't going to forget. So we pretty much built everything around the red carpet experience for that filmmaker. Having said that, we also make sure that the film that's selected is a top quality film and the filmmaker who made it is, uh, you know, going to come and have an experience and have an audience. Uh, when we established the film festival, we were surprised to find that there's a lot of retirees that are here that love going to theater, uh, Broadway. I mean, all the arts, all the cultural things they were missing. And then to come to Little Beaufort and have a film festival, an international film festival. So people started coming to our film festival and each year it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And as that started to happen, we made sure that the films that we selected were at least on par with the ones that were selected the previous year. And then it kept getting to where the quality of the films through word of mouth of the filmmaker uh, was, you've got to submit to this film festival if you want this Buford hug and Southern hospitality. Um, and then just see this beautiful, beautiful area and find out why all these motion pictures were filmed there. So uh, we pretty much established a criteria for filmmakers that uh, uh, we want them to want to come here, want to be selected. And uh, as time went on, we started thinking, um, not that we wanted to make it as too tough to get into, but we would, didn't want people to think, well, uh, I'm going to go to Sundance. We had people that uh, held off submitting to us because they said we're being considered for Sundance. I don't know how they would ever know that if you're being considered for Sundance or South by Southwest. And the reason they don't want to submit is because you have to be a first, you have to be a premier uh, at Sundance or South by Southwest. So if you've already been selected at a film festival and already announced, uh, then they won't accept you. So we battled that for a few years and then finally said, you know what? We don't care about the other film festivals. So we just tailored it to Buford. Um, and as word got out, and we became friends with the filmmakers because that's the other thing we do is we try to become friends. I mean, you're a filmmaker, but we want to, you want, we want you to know us before you get here. So for about two months before our film festival, 
we're engaged with the filmmakers. We're seeing what they need. This is the airport you need to fly into. As best we can, we're going to provide you a room. We're going to feed you while you're here. Uh, if you don't like what we have, we'll tell you where the nearest restaurant is, has the best shrimp in, in the area uh, or, or barbecue or whatever. Uh, and most people don't want to leave. You know, they come here and says, oh, is it over already? And uh, so uh, that's the experience that we try to build. Uh, and there's several layers to that. And, um, and if you ask me which layer, I don't want to go on and on and on, but uh, uh, based on your own experience, which is in a COVID year, uh, which we, you know, we decided to do an in-person film festival against a lot of people telling me not to. Uh, but I guess the Marine in me says we can do this and we're going to do this. And, uh, it was the hell with the devil film festival, you know? So, uh, we, we got it done. We're six weeks past the film festival. We had no reports of anybody, uh, testing positive or, or getting sick. And, uh, so thank, thank God for that. But, um, but yeah, we, 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 we count on the filmmaker. The filmmaker is very, very important because you have one filmmaker that comes and has a bad experience um that's why we go to the extra lens to make sure that everything is going to be perfect to uh you check into your room you knew it was going to be there we have the swag bag on the bed or at least to check in when you got there um uh, i have already checked your movie to make sure it plays perfectly uh the slightest little hiccup you can expect me to be there before the filmmaker is there uh, because I'm back there. I said, why is that out of sync? You know, or something like that. And just the little thing. So we, um, next to the filmmaker being the most persnickety about their film, how it looks and how it sounds would be me right there with you. So, um, but we just take a lot of extra care to make sure that that experience is a good one. Well, and I just want to testify. I told Josh in a text message I was done with questions, but I didn't. <laughs> but 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 I do I want to known. testify to my experience uh, because most film festivals do not. It's not common for them to provide lodging. It is not common for them to provide food. Um, there are some film, you know, it's, I, I don't know how many film festivals don't even give a, actual physical awards. Um, there are some that do, but it's like to the top three filmmakers or whatever. Um, one of the big differences is with the Buford Film Festival, in my experience, all of the filmmakers were on an equal footing and they tried to treat the people that submitted shorts with as much dignity as they did the people that, you know, have these big award-winning films. And everybody got the Buford hug and you have succeeded in your goal of making it so memorable. I keep trying to figure out how the heck can I get back there? I, I want to produce a movie just to submit it just so I can get back there. Um, and I want to film there. What can I shoot there? I was I was lobbying to find stories in Buford that I could shoot while I was there. Uh, so it's a very special place, very special film festival. And I would highly encourage any filmmaker to submit. So now I'm done. <laughs> well, as, as we're uh, kind of nearing the end here, I wanted to ask Ron, as someone who had a whole career prior to filmmaking and then just decided to like, hey, let's pick up a camera and give this a go because I like it. What advice do you have to new filmmakers, regardless of their age or their career background, you know, just getting started right now in this age that we live in? What, what advice would you give to a new filmmaker? Uh, one of the first things would be to tune into this podcast because I've learned some things, uh, especially from Christian's experience about uh, uh, some of the deliverables that you, you have to present to go through. Uh, but I would suggest that, uh, you know, if, if you're going to submit to a film festival, make sure that that film festival feels the love back because film festivals, um, when we get a film submitted, for example, and we see that that film has already been in 50 other film festivals. Uh, and it's just because either, you know, you, it's just going to be another notch in the gun or whatever. Um, we want to make sure that you, if you're selected, um, be prepared to go to that film festival. 
Uh, don't submit to a film festival that you just want to be selected and put in a laurel on your poster that says, I was selected at the Beaufort National Film Festival because we're counting on you to want to come to the film festival and present your film uh, and then do the Q&A after the film, uh, network with other filmmakers. I can't begin to tell you how many uh, filmmakers have come and met each other and are now collaborating on projects and they have submitted the film festival, I mean, submitted projects back to us where they work together on it. Uh, so that makes us feel pretty good because especially when we found that they met here, uh, a lot of times they met somewhere else and that relationship builds from the film festival circuit. But for all new filmmakers, I would suggest um, first, you know, if the screenwriting, make sure you have a, a good script, make sure it's in accordance with, with all the, all the uh, elements of, of having a good screenplay. And then make sure that when you shoot it, you shoot it professionally. One of the things that we see with films that come in that people don't concentrate on the audio. Audio is important. And if you have the best picture, the best story, but if your audio sucks, you're probably not going to get selected. Uh, at the same time, we have had films that come in and if you're shooting uh, back into the light and you can't really see the images, I mean, kind of learn the craft first and then test those films on people you know and let that was it's going to tell you uh you know if you have a good film or not and if you're submitting a short film your chances of getting into a film festival especially our film festival is if your short is 20 minutes or less if you have a short that's 39 minutes which is right on the edge of being a feature 40 minutes or more is considered a feature if you submit one that's 39 minutes, it better be very, very good. Uh, because when we're programming, basically that's when I'm programming, I'm looking for as many films and as many filmmakers as I can get into the festival. And if I have three great films that are 15 minutes each, short films now, and I have one that's 39 minutes, your 39 minute film better be better than those three uh, that were 18 minutes or 15 minutes um, because that's just depriving somebody else of that. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, and I think all film festivals like shorter is better. Uh, and then the Q and A, I mean, be prepared to talk about your film. We've had, um, we've had young filmmakers, student filmmakers that would come up, get on stage. It's just me and that person. And they're like a deer in the headlights. And, uh, they can't talk about their film, the process of making the film. Because someone's going to ask a question, uh, how much it cost you to make that film? Or where did you get the idea for the film? Or just have all that ready to talk about. And, um, and I think as time goes on from festival to festival, we've had people that came, we were their first film festival. They came back five years later. It's like, who is that person? I mean, I asked one question, that was it. Uh, and then they filled up their 10 minutes. So. Um, but that would be the thing that I would recommend to them is be, be genuine. I only submit to those film festivals you plan on going to. Um, and, uh, you know, if you're selected, then already someone's telling you that you have a quality film. We try, we've raised the bar so high over the years that, um, we hate to see some films not get selected, but we just don't have enough time to take them all. Ron, um, if someone uh, is going to be out in Beaufort or they want to learn about the film festival, how, what's the website where they can uh, connect with you? Well, if they go to BeaufortFilmFestival.com, uh, there's a lot of drop-down tabs there. Just have to kind of scroll across and see which one's dropped down. But as it gets closer to the film festival, we start putting more information. A lot of the selections aren't made until uh, December 15th. So from December 15th to our festival, which is late February, uh, usually, uh, a lot of information is going to change every day. Up until that point, then we're promoting like Beaufort Film Society, uh, which is a membership-driven organization, and we try to get as many members into the film society as we can, because uh, later on, those people are going to be our audience, and those people are going to be our sponsors, uh, hopefully. And, uh, and without both of those, we couldn't put on the film festival. 
Um, so it's kind of a, 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 a learn as you go for each filmmaker because uh, if they haven't done a film festival before, and we, we try to educate all the students. We have great student filmmakers that come here and we a lot of times are their first experience. Uh, and we try to tell them it's downhill from here. So uh, uh, you've already been to see us and they go and compare us. And uh, of course, I'm joking with them at the time, but they've all come back and said, hey, that was right. We went to another film festival and, you know, we, we, we want to come back to Beaufort. And, uh, and what Christian said, a lot of them leave here saying, I got to go make another film so I can have a reason to go back to Beaufort. So, <laughs> um, and that's, well, hey, that's Ryan, one of the things. Ron, real quick, um, uh, Christian wants to know, as a as the rest of our listening audience, June six. What what's happening on June six? Uh, well, June six this year, uh, Buford Inn, which is uh, one of our marquee uh, inns here in Buford, uh, we have partnered with them, and we're going to be doing uh, a garden, what they call a garden party, uh, and on June six, uh, we have selected because it is D-Day, uh, the girl who wore freedom to appear or to screen uh, at, a, at the garden party. Uh, it's one of those, uh, bring your lawn chairs, bring your kids. Uh, it's, a, it's a kickoff of the summer for us and, um, and it's a Sunday. So we are expecting to have a, a lot of folks uh, downtown in June uh, for a lot of reasons. A lot of people get married here uh so we're looking to have uh and things work out with christian uh, may get to be here for that as well uh but we're going to kick off our summer series with the girl who wore freedom on june 6th fantastic Woo -hoo. Woo -hoo. <laughs> all right well hey ron we really appreciate you coming on the podcast two times and uh <laughs> actually you know i feel bad for our podcast listeners because we got to hear some of the same stories, but we got to hear a lot of other new stories. And so there's things they're just missing out on. So you really need to find a way to, to make, you know, to get the Beaufort, meet Ron, go to the film festival. Uh, so really enjoyed our time with you today. So thanks for being on with us. Well, thank you. Appreciate you having me. And uh, y'all yeah, come down and visit. Come down and check it out. Christian, can you remind us, uh, for those who want to make a donation to the Girl of War Freedom or buy some swag, where can they go? Thegirlwhowarefreedom.com slash donate or thegirlwhowarefreedom.com slash shop. Uh, there are plenty of videos there, blogs there, lots of ways to interact with us. So we really would love you to follow our journey. And if you are a filmmaker, uh, write us. Let us know what you've learned about this film. Leave a comment on iTunes or on our website. Uh, and, you know, maybe you could come on our podcast and talk about what you're doing as well. So thank you guys for listening to the podcast and Josh and Jason for hosting. Thank you, Ron, for being here. Hopefully we can have you back because there's other stories we didn't get to record this time. Right. Okay. Sounds good. Well, thanks everyone for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell and you can be the one to tell it. Yes, you can. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Documentary First. We really appreciate your partnership with us. We can't do any of this without you. So thank you so much for listening, for donating, and for following along on our journey. If you are able to make a donation this week, we would really appreciate it. We are supported by donors who give us $100 or less, so anything helps. Also, if you're able to share the news about The Girl Who Wore Freedom with your friends and family, please do that on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or email. And sign up for our newsletter at thegirlwhowarefreedom.com. Please go to thegirlwhowarefreedom.com slash donate to make a donation today.